Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. Today, we are talking about clutter. You know, it's that thing that everybody has in their house in some corner that nobody's talking about, and we're often ignoring it, and I'm putting myself in that category. And today, we're talking about the real meaning of clutter. Like, why do we have clutter in the first place? And how does it impact our lives? So my guest is Star Hansen, who is a certified professional organizer. She is a keynote speaker with an interesting, a very interesting TEDx talk, which I will link in the show notes. And she is also the author of a book called Why the F Am I Still Not Organized? And I love that title. Welcome, Star. Happy to have you here. So happy to be here with you today, Jennifer. I love your podcast and just am obsessed with the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to jump right in. And so listeners, today we might talk about labeling and boxes and making closets pretty and having nice Pinterest boards. But really, I mean, if you're a listener of this podcast, you know, I like to get deep into the why we do the things that we do and how they impact us. So start First of all, tell us, how did you come to do this work? Like, how do you become a personal professional organizer? And like, why do you do that? Why do you want to help people clean up their clutter? (laughs) Yeah, well, and I every time I get asked this question, I always wish I had a better answer. It was totally by accident. Because when I started my business, it was the early 2000s. And the organizing industry wasn't what it is today. It wasn't this well-known thing. When I used to tell people I'm a professional organizer, they thought I meant parties. And so it was just not, you know, it was like pre-Marie Kondo and all of that. But I started doing it because I knew that I was a healer and it was a natural aptitude that I had. A lot of organizers come to the industry because they struggled with organizing. And I feel like my brain just makes sense of the stuff and I view it as a healing process. And as I started working with people, that just only deepened. And I would say when I really had a big pivot, I was always looking at the deeper meaning of our clutter and why it was there and what was really going on. And I had a loss maybe eight years into my career and it just shook me to the bone. And I remember when I went to their house, the state of their house told me so much. And it was almost like I suddenly saw spaces in a totally different way. I really saw how our spaces tell us what's really going on in our lives. And, you know, you might be able to put on a good face and go to work and smile and dress a certain way. And our homes tell the story of our lives. They really say what's going on. And once I saw that this work wasn't just something I was good at doing or that I enjoyed doing. It was something I had to do. It was a responsibility to do. And the way that I view organizing is I'm here to help you understand why your clutter is there, help you get your needs met without the clutter, because I really believe that if we have recurring clutter, it's because it's meeting a need in some way. And to help you come home to yourself, organizing is a vehicle for radical transformation in every area of our lives. Mm, I love that so much. And that like the link between healing and clutter, because I think like, first of all, how do you define clutter? (laughs) That is such a great question. Stuff in their house, right? But how do you actually define when it gets into the clutter zone? (laughs) 
Yeah. So clutter is in the eye of the beholder. So it's anytime you have excess stuff, excess, even non-physical stuff, excess, you know, basically anything that feels like it doesn't match you or match your life. This can be physical objects. Yes, it can be ways of thinking. It can be emails. It can be tasks. It can be projects. It's really anything that feels like it's making your life uncomfortable, something that feels like it doesn't fit. I often even say our thoughts can be clutter. I may not experience a lot of physical clutter, but I experience a lot of you know, clutter in my mind with the way that I perceive myself sometimes. And so I don't view that as different clutter than the clutter that my clients have on their kitchen counter. It's all the same. Right. So as I was reading this book, you were talking about how you could walk into a room and kind of see what was going on. And the first thing I thought was, I'm never inviting her over to my office. <laughs> that is a really common takeaway. I agree. I just, I, I should have been an introvert because that's exactly how you get people to never invite you over. Say, I can see you through your stuff. <laughs> but what was interesting is it made me think about my office, which sometimes it's like meticulous and neat. And then there's other times where I'm like, holy hell, like there's piles of stuff everywhere, right? There's papers all over my desk. And I actually, as, as I was reading the book, I started thinking about the why. And I realized like a big insight for me was, is like, I'm a huge ideas person. Like I want to do everything. I have a million of them. And often I will start out trying to do everything and getting nowhere with anything, right? And then I have to like pull back. And the first thing I do when I pull back is I clean up my space. And then I will pick like the one idea and then start going forward with it. And I was like, oh, interesting. I had never actually, like, I know I do it instinctually, right? But I had never actually thought about it that way. You know, it's so beautiful because we have this perception in our society that clutter is bad. Clutter's bad. It's bad for you. It's making your life harder. And yes, many times those things are true. But also, I believe that your genius lies in your clutter. I believe that your clutter contains so many incredible ideas, so much great insight. And the way you just described it, Jennifer, is beautiful because it's almost like when you get those piles and when you get that structure, it's almost like you're doing a physical brain dump. Like, Ooh, this is a cool idea. And I might really like this. And what about that? And it's almost like you're saying, yes, you're in the generating phase. And then once you begin to want to move into the action phase, then it starts to refine and it becomes that the other items that don't fit in with the path that you're walking don't match. So now you have to get rid of them. And that process of purging or reorganizing is really such an interesting process for those of us who use our physical objects in that way, or even our physical spaces in that way, because it becomes a physical, practical way that we are sorting through the energetic and the intellectual things that are processing. I I mean, honestly, I even do this. I remember I took a month off to work on my book. And the first week, all I did was repaint my office and reorganize and buy new art. And if you look at you know what most people say is, oh, you were distracting yourself. And I disagree completely. What I was doing was elevating my space to match what I needed it to be to create what I was creating. Mm. And so it was not even just, it wasn't a distraction. It was a necessity. Right. That's so interesting because I had um, an incident. This was like a few months ago where I was trying to write something and I was really struggling with it. Like two hours in, I'm like, you know, erasing, starting over. And then I like, I had this overwhelming feeling I want to go clean my closet. And then I kept thinking, no, no, no. I fought it for a while because I'm like, sit here. You're supposed to like get the thing done. And eventually I'm like, it's not happening. 
going to clean out my closet. In the middle of cleaning out my closet, which seemed to me to be totally unrelated, all of a sudden, the thing that I was writing literally just like downloaded. And then I went back to my computer and I did in 15 minutes what I had been struggling for two hours to do before. Yes. And I will say, so it's so interesting that you are mentioning your clothing closet because every area of our home represents an area of our life. And oftentimes, and they're not the same in everyone's home, but oftentimes our clothing closet is our identity. It's how we view ourselves. It's also how we present ourselves to the world. And when you're creating content like a book or a talk or anything like that, we are presenting information but we are also presenting ourselves. And so the fact that you needed to go and shift the energy in your identity area of your home before you were able to write. And then once you did that, it just flowed out. Like I have chills when you say that, because that is so much truth. And if I could wave a magic wand, it would be, what if you're right? Like so many times we beat ourselves up. We're like, oh no, I organized my closet instead. Pause. What if you're right? What if you needed to do that to shift your energy to be open to inspiration in that way? What if that was exactly what you needed to do and it wasn't a distraction? It was perfect. Yeah. Well, and I've had similar experiences before and, you know, where it's like, oh, I'm going to clean out the junk drawer. But I always went to the, okay, you know, <laughs> you're distracting yourself, get back to work kind of things. But now I'm like, you know, and then after reading your book, I was like, oh, th- there's a lot of good reason behind this. And like following that intuitive nudge. And that's the thing where I've over the, the you know, the past seven years, I've really learned to honor those intuitive nudges. And so even when they seem unrelated, it is actually you know, the path to the thing that it is that I want. Yes. And sometimes it's what I call the gateway project because, Mm. you know, you're sitting there and you're going to write a book or you're going to you know do a talk or you're going to create a new offering or whatever you're going to do, or you're going to organize your entire garage. And oftentimes the projects that are ahead of us are so big and overwhelming and just suffocating really when we look at them, that the best thing we can do is do something small like the junk drawer or like organizing our socks because what it does is it gives us a nice flood of dopamine. Every time we create categories, we're getting that lovely flood of dopamine. It also allows us to feel empowered and in control in a very out of control world. So when we're doing a giant project, there are a lot of steps that your brain may not fully be able to click through yet. But what we need is some sort of gateway that makes you feel this flood of yes energy inside that makes taking action feel exciting. Mm -hmm. And so when you feel overwhelmed, when you're not sure where to start, yeah, do something small, do your purse, do a junk drawer, do your sock drawer, do, you know, do something that maybe doesn't make a big deal on a large level, but puts you in the driver's seat of feeling empowered. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. In the book, you said clutter is not your fault. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because, okay, for most people, when you have that room in your house or that corner of your of your room and it's really, really messy, like you're beating yourself up for it, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, I got to get to this. Oh, I didn't do it today. Like, you know, and there's this like cycle of, I want to call it shame almost. Yes. And beating yourself up for not being able to keep that corner clean or keep your bedroom clean or whatever it is. And so I was very intrigued when I read the line that clutter is not your fault. Yeah. We perceive clutter as a problem. We perceive it in our society as an issue, a symptom of a defect. And that does make clutter feel like we've done something wrong. And you've done nothing wrong. Clutter is proof of your genius. It's proof of your expansion and growth. It's proof of the genius ideas that are coming through you. It's not 
simply some mistake you made. And as long as we are looking at clutter as a mistake, we feel like we are the mistake because our objects are an external part of us, right? Like our body is the home of our soul and our home is the home of our body and soul. And so there's an identification that goes on. And so one thing is, you know, there was a study done a few years ago that basically said clutter is only a problem if you think it's a problem. It's our perception of it. And what we need to do is we need to acknowledge that there's a lot of things that cause clutter that have nothing to do with someone being defective or having screwed up or made a mistake. Clutter's not your fault. You might have clutter because maybe you had a late in life diagnosis of ADHD and the systems that you're trying to use do not work for your brain type. That's not your fault. You're living in a world where 90% of the systems are not built for you. So we have to establish systems that work for you. You might have clutter because life is moving too fast. You might have three kids at home and a partner and a full-time job and you have an hour a day and you choose to use that hour a day to spend time with your kids. Good choice. I think that's a great choice. You made a really good decision there. There are a lot of things, you know, it could be anything from the way our brain works to our lifestyle. There are so many things that contribute to our clutter. I remember I sat down at one point and mapped them all out. There was over 130 reasons why we generate clutter outside of, I'm lazy, I don't know what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. This can be anything from you're trying to save the world by making sure that any item you want to dispose of goes to the right place. For any item that you're having a hard time getting rid of, I guarantee you there are three to five very good, very urgent feeling reasons inside of you that are stopping you from being able to move that object forward. And I've never in my 20 plus years of doing this, I have never encountered someone who was disorganized because they were lazy or they did something that, you know, showcased that clutter was a problem in them, that there was some sort of defect in them. I've literally never seen that in the thousands of people that I've worked with. So interesting. What a very unique and empowering perspective you have on that, because I guarantee you anybody listening to this who's right now staring at some part of their house or a room or whatever has never had someone reveal that perspective to them. Yeah. Yeah. It really feels important to have this conversation because yeah. we are, we shame our clutter bugs in our world. Yeah. That's such a common thing we do. And one of the things that I say to people all the time is if you have a loved one who is struggling with clutter, you're not helping them by bullying them or saying, Oh, did you know that all you have to do is get rid of stuff or offering them unsolicited advice or telling them that they have a problem as though they didn't know? What really helps people when they're struggling with clutter is genuine connection and interest. Brene Brown says that the antidote to shame is connection. And so if you have someone who's trying to get organized, don't rub their face in it. If it's not moving as fast as you think it should go, ask them, hey, what have you learned about yourself through this process? Did you find anything that was really interesting or beautiful to you? Do you want to tell me a story that you remembered about your life from anything you found today? Get interested in the people that you love who are struggling in this way and get interested in yourself. If you're the one who's dealing with the clutter, I don't view clutter as a task to complete. I see it as a healing journey. It's it's a long-standing journey and you need to make time when you're organizing. It's not just about getting it done and putting things away to process the emotions that the clutter is reawakening for you and bringing you back to, to tell stories, like find a buddy that you can tell stories to. It's organizers spend all day. We are the secret keepers. We have so many great stories inside of us because we have clients who need to tell stories to process and it's really normal to need to work through 
the emotional journey of organizing, not just the physical realm of doing it. So if you have clutter, which we all do, how do you determine when clutter is becoming a problem or holding you back from something? Because you said something interesting about clutter only is how we perceive it. It's a problem if we perceive it to be a problem. So you'll notice I have a free download on my website that's, you know, 10 ways to know if clutter is talking to you. And I love that because it speaks so well. It's what you'll notice is that you have ruminating thoughts about your clutter. Like you can't stop thinking about it no matter what. You think about it a hundred times a day. When you walk into a room, you might feel like the objects in that room are screaming at you. You might feel a deep aversion to organizing, or you might also feel a deep panic about the concept of getting rid of something. So there's a lot of ways what we want to do is we want to notice when we're having a visceral reaction to this stuff. Because the truth is, if if you come to my house and I had a giant pile of stuff, you'd have no visceral reaction. (laughs) It would be like, let me help you, my friend. We've got this. Okay, we're going to do like if you try to help a friend, we can always do that. So when we're looking at our own clutter, when we feel that overwhelmed, that stuckness, and oftentimes it's just simply an avoidance. If you go to start organizing and you want to instantly scroll, Netflix and chill, meditate, like, I don't know, you want to run in another direction, that tells me that there's something bigger going on and that your clutter is affecting you in a negative way. And from that place, then we can do the deeper work that you and I are talking about, which is let's figure out why it's so hard and why does it keep coming back? And why is the struggle here? Because we know that there's lots of stuff that you can organize that would not feel stressful. And so there's something in the stuff that feels stressful that's asking you for the next level. Right. So the message in your mess. Yes. Yeah. Yes. On page 62, you say clutter allows you to stop looking for answers outside of you. The answers are within you and the clutter is the key to discovering them. If the challenge is in the clutter, the solution is too. Which again, such a like a very open-minded and healing view to something that we have, that we shame ourselves for. So tell me a little bit about that, about, you know, the clutter allows you to stop looking for answers outside of you. Cause I talk about this all the time on the podcast. (laughs) Totally. Well, it's, you know, and I see this on a practical level. This is the beauty of organizing is we do this deep, deep healing work and we do this very practical healing work. Also, most of the time when I'm organizing with someone, they have the physical solutions already there. I mean, how much of our clutter is made up of organizing solutions and bins and boxes, <laughs> you know, a, a good amount of it, you know, generally speaking. Yeah. And so the same is true with the more emotional psychological. So the antidote is in the poison. So when you look at your stuff, the way that I view clutter is this, if you have recurring clutter, that clutter is doing something to help you. And if you can figure out what that clutter is doing to help you, you can get that need met without the clutter. And once you do that, the clutter becomes obsolete and it actually falls away quite easily. And this can happen in so many different ways. I mean, I have, you know, dozens of stories that I tell about this in the book, but one of them, for example, is a client that I had who we couldn't figure out how to get his office organized. I would come, we'd organize it, it would fall back and go back to its original state. I'd come back. We'd do the same. We did it over and over again until we started digging into the why. Why does the clutter keep coming back? How is it helping you? And he had had a break-in and they had taken a lot of really important valuables. And unconsciously, he was experiencing that if his office was cluttered, if someone broke in, they would not be able to find his valuables. So he felt more safe to have the clutter. The clutter was protecting him. 
And that's a really common thing that we do. And so once we established proper homes for things, he got organized and we've never had to redo his office again because he met the deeper need. And this can happen. I mean, I see this even with parents who, you know, they have something in the house they don't want their kids to get to. They build a giant pile of clutter right in front of that object. And it's a great way to distract your spouse or your coworkers or your kids from finding the thing that you want. And, but there's, you know, we use our clutter to communicate. We use it to create experience, empowerment, abundance, security. We use it to connect and we use it to protect. And once you can dig in and figure out how the clutter is, is working for you in that way, then you can solve that need without the clutter and the clutter becomes unnecessary. That's so interesting. Is that true of people? And, and I want to address this because I think there's a lot of talk around this ADD, ADD, ADHD thing as well. You know, like a lot of people who are being diagnosed or self-diagnosing based on kind of things that they're seeing. There's a lot of talk about it. So is the yeah. same true of people who do experience ADHD or ADD and who are just like messy? <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of my clients, I have a good amount of clients who have been diagnosed with ADHD and I mean, and they experience so, and, and also clients who have hoarding disorder. And so you have these predispositions, we'll just call it, to your brain working in a way that might make executive functioning just more challenging, right? Just living your day-to-day life, you're naturally wired for things to feel a little bit more difficult in the world, how we have it set up. Right. I do not view any of those diagnoses are really like a defect. I really view them as a superpower. Yes. And yeah. So a lot of times what ends up happening is people with ADHD or hoarding disorder, or any of the, you know, isms that we talk about, they are experiencing the same thing. It's just that there's also a layer of that executive functioning piece. So the way I describe it is there's normally three layers of clutter that are going on. There's the base layer of clutter, which is when you first move into a house, were you ever able to get set up and unpack your boxes and establish systems that really work well for you? And then we normally have some sort of like emotional layer of the clutter. This is what I'm talking about with how is clutter serving you. So then we're looking at how the clutter is meeting your needs. Then on top of that, we have your day-to-day functional clutter, the stuff that you use every day and that people come in that's really recent. So you have these three layers of clutter that all blend into this like mash of clutter that makes it very complicated. So your brain says, oh, I just need to get this under control. But you're dealing with what are my foundational systems? How is it serving me? Like it is just this stew of chaos. And it's that's why organizing doesn't feel simple because yes, the mainstream solutions absolutely work. But the way I put it is if you don't understand your deeper why, no system is ever going to work. And if you understand your deeper why, any system that you apply will work. And so it's not an and or, it's a we have to work together. And it's why I really love my industry because even though I don't talk boxes and labels, I know that we need boxes and labels. And I one of the first things I teach people people with ADHD, people who are neurotypical, whatever it is, like most of us were not taught how to get organized. So the first thing I teach, and I say this in the book is here are the 10 steps that you need to do to get organized. And if your listeners are interested, they can get a free download of what those are at organizingiseasy.com. And I just give that information away. It's like, okay, great. You just need to know this. This is not some proprietary secret that I'm keeping from you because you probably weren't taught and I can't get you to do the deeper exploration of how your clutter serving you if you don't perceive that you know how to do it in the end. So we have to know how to organize, but we also have to know how to dig into those other layers and start to explore what's really going on there. 
Yeah, that's so interesting because you're right. I think about, you know, and I've done this many times. It's like, okay, I'm going to get organized. And then the first thing I do is I go to the solution store and I spend $250 on stuff to get organized (laughs) and then I don't use it. (laughs) Yes. But, you know, let's just name first and foremost, it feels good to acquire solutions. And again, that's because of dopamine, because our brain gets this lovely chemical that says, you're on the right track. Keep going. Go, go, go. So so there's a reason why we shop because it feels so darn good and it's easy and it's hopeful and it's intentional. And we feel in those moments connected to our why. And the challenge comes when we have to dig in. And I will say this, this is a tricky part for those with ADHD and many people just in general. The granular nature of organizing is just exhausting for many people. The idea of taking an entire room of clutter and making sense of it and, you know, putting it into organizational categories and a system that works for you, that can feel like five years worth of work for one small area. And this is why I give people the steps because it is a lot. It's Organizing is not creating a system or putting things in boxes. It's not only getting rid of things. It is everything from how you set your intention for what you're going to have in that space, all the way to knowing your maintenance system. I mean, there are so many little steps in there. And the truth is, the ones that I just mentioned are not the hardest ones. And that's where we get stuck and it gets really overwhelming. And so we have to be really gentle with ourselves. And one of the best things that I tell people is start small, do 20 minute projects. Just, I mean, if all you did for the next month was 20 minute projects, that would give you that feeling of trust and stability inside of yourself. Most of us have decades of feeling like we failed in the realm of organizing because we go to organize an entire room of our house. And then, you know, in four hours, by the way, and then we feel like we failed. And so start small, put on a song and just organize or collect trash or donations for three minutes while that song is playing. Do a 20 minute project. We have to start learning to trust ourselves again through the process of organizing. It's one of the greatest gifts that organizing offers us. Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, my partner, for example, he has a very busy, stressful job. And I've noticed and this used to drive me crazy was when he comes home, the first thing he does is open the fridge and organize its contents. Mm. And I used to be like, why are you doing that? Like, what? just go like have a shower, go rest, do whatever. You've had a hard day, right? And I finally realized one day, actually not that long ago, that I'm like, when he comes home feeling stressed and out of like, you know, there's been a lot going on, the way he calms himself is by organizing the things in the fridge. So now I'm like, knock yourself out. <laughs> Enjoy yourself, sir. Well, and what's interesting is the fridge, the kitchen is is one of the centers of nourishment. And so it's almost like when he comes home, he's trying to get nourished. And for some people that's eating, but for some people that's creating order. I know yeah. for me, when I come home from a trip, the first thing I do, and I maybe have not done this two times in my entire adult life, the first thing I do is completely unpack my suitcase. I mean, I don't even sit down. I might go to the bathroom and then everything is getting unpacked. And it's funny because I've kind of given myself a hard time, like in my, you know, programs and stuff. When I talk about this with my, you know, with my members, I'm always like, sorry guys, it's just, it's like a quirk with me. But I actually think what it is, is it's me getting grounded in my space. Mm. It's basically me resolving that trip, bringing all my energy home, getting grounded in my space and reassimilating with my life again. And the minute that I've unpacked, it's like, oh, I can breathe. So I get what your partner's doing. There is, there's so many unconscious things that are yeah. shifts of energy. 
Well, and this is what I really wanted to dig in here because the energetic impact of clutter, right? And how that actually holds you back from what it is that you want for your life. Yeah. Right. So you have a dream, you have a goal or a desire for your life. And then, you know, let's say you have a room in your house that is just a complete shambles. Like what is the connection between those two things? What is the energetic impact of clutter that's holding you back? Yeah. So when I work with people, I'm almost always working with badass women who are really successful in many areas of their life who have a section of clutter that they're like, I don't know why I can't get rid of this or a pattern of clutter because it might be your whole house. And again, I look at two things when I look at the clutter. First is where is it? And second, what is it? The where tells us the area of your life that's being affected. There is no accident in where your clutter builds up. I promise you there are patterns in your clutter. And when we see clutter as all just one mass dumping, we miss out on the magic. And so the first thing is, where's the clutter? The second thing is, what is the clutter? And when I say, what is the clutter? It's like, okay, what are the objects that make that up? Like You probably don't have bills in your bathtub. Right. But you might have 20 bottles of shampoo in your bathtub, or you might have a counter full of bills in the kitchen or next to your bed. And that tells me a lot. The what items and where they are says a lot about what areas of your life you are trying to make sense of or that you're struggling with. And so we really want to look at, and this is, you know, the book goes into this in a more deep way than I can get into here, which is what do each of those rooms mean? What does that mean for your life? And how can we start to explore, you know, and there's this perception in our society that if we see the problem, we have to fix it instantly. Like, oh, good. I solved it. Let's be done with it. And a lot of times the trauma and the layers that are hiding in our clutter are just too big for us to knock out in a four-hour organizing session. What we need to do is give ourselves the reins, the freedom to say, I see that and I'm not willing to deal with it yet, but I will deal with it one day, but I'm going to not have it out in my space collecting clutter because clutter begets clutter. So a good example of this is I was the inheritor. (laughs) I am the historian of my family. And so anytime my parents want to downsize, they're like, oh, take these VHS tapes, take this photo album. And because they know that I'm the one who cares. Right. And I have this box of VHS tapes and I lost my sister over a decade ago. And that is one of the most painful losses of my entire life. And I remember I queued up those car- those videos and I watched things that felt like someone was slicing into my heart with a sword. And I could not even like, I couldn't even watch 10 seconds of it. I was like, it's, I just can't do this. And so what I did is that I boxed those up, labeled them clearly, and put them into a storage area out of my day-to-day space. Because if I had just turned off the VHS player, walked away, I would probably need to clutter to avoid having to confront that pain. Mm. And so I really want to offer to people, just because you see it doesn't mean you need to do it right now. You can say, this is a big thing. You know, I always call these landmines. When you have a landmine and a person, an event, a thing that makes you feel, you know, a lot of pain and grief, it could be a loss. It could be a job transition. It could be a chapter of our lives that we're no longer in. Box that stuff up, label it clearly, all four sides put it away in storage and give yourself the space to live without feeling like you need to go and uproot the biggest wounds of your life on a Thursday when you're trying to make your kids lunch, you know? (laughs) Right. Like, I think there's an example that you used in the book about one of your clients who was looking, who wanted a relationship or was kind of struggling in that area of their lives. And in their bedroom, one half of the bedroom was clean and the other half of them was not so, was like the storage 
talk to me a little bit about that one. Like what was manifesting there? How was that playing out just as an example? Absolutely. I love that client. I love that story. So this client had a very organized house and I walked in and, you know, and, and as a woman, you walk into the house of a man and you're an organizer and it's clean and you start looking for plastic and machetes. It's like, am I safe? Am I safe? You know, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't know what, or is he going to come on to me? Let's, I don't know what the deal is. And we walk into his bedroom and the whole rest of the house had been spotless and beautiful. And the bedroom on the partner side of the bed was just stacked floor to ceiling with boxes. And the partner side of the bed was covered with paper and books and all sorts of, you know, hodgepodge. And what we did is, and this is the beauty of organizing, the beauty of organizing is you don't just sit there and do therapy for seven hours. You are doing meaningful movement work of shifting people's physical spaces, their mindset while you're doing this deeply therapeutic work. And so when I walked into his room and I saw that the partner side was blocked, but his side was perfectly organized, that tells me that he has a block on a partnership. And as we started organizing the spaces together, it slowly came out that, yeah, he had had a really abusive situation and it made him not feel safe being in a relationship. And through the process of organizing those boxes, he was able to start to have more insight as to why he was being so blocked. And we did it slowly enough that it wasn't like we ripped the bandaid off and suddenly he has to mm. date tomorrow. He could move at his pace and nice and slowly. And by the end of our process, I remember he called me and, you know, shortly after we had finished and said he had met someone and they later got engaged and are are still married and they are just a beautiful loving couple and it was the process of organizing that really you know was a contributing factor to him opening up like and i'm not saying that organizing did it i'm saying that he was ready and he was willing to start to look at that clutter in a new way and reimagine his life and by clearing the space he was able to make room for this beautiful woman who is now in his life as his partner and it, that's just the joy that organizing gives us is it gives us these opportunities for a fresh start and deep, profound healing in ways that we have you know, for things that we've basically have forgotten about or kind of have buried. So, I mean, you mentioned in the book that like, you know, you say your spaces give you away. You can tell when someone is looking to switch careers, wants a relationship, you know, is looking for connection and those types of things. Yeah. So if I'm sitting here looking at some clutter in my house, how do I understand what that in fact is blocking, right? Like, mm -hmm. is it an intuitive thing? Like, how do I even begin that process to be able to understand that impact for me personally? It's both intuitive and logical. When I tell most people this and when they learn about the meanings of the rooms and all that, they just show up and they kind of know. It's funny, before the book came out, before I was like giving people all the information, I would have people come to my community, my membership, and I'd say, what's clutter doing for you? And I would just get this like deer in the headlights look of like, you are insane, lady, get away from me. You know, like, like, I don't know, star, it's not doing anything good. And now people show up in the community and they say, okay, great. Well, I'm using my clutter to create a barrier between me and my partner because I'm really upset with them. What I need is to learn how to have better boundaries with him. And it's like, they've already solved the problem. So a lot of times just this conversation, this inquiry, most people who find me and that we work together, they have tried everything. They have mm. sparked the joy and color coded and done all the things and they can't figure out why it's not working, but they know that something's missing. And once they hear this, it's almost like that intuitive part of them that has been trying to get their attention in subtle ways now has language to speak through. So it's this wonderful rush of like that voice, like I always say, your intuition is this gentle, loving voice, and it will always just 
say the same thing to you very kindly. Your ego, on the other hand, is going to beat you up, is going to try to coerce you, is going to tell you when you hear those like abusive things, that's the ego talking. But when you hear that gentle, soft tone, when you ask that question, like, how is this clutter helping me? Right. The ego might step in and be like, it's not. It's proof that you're lazy. But just say to that voice, like, thank you. I appreciate you trying to help me because all it's trying to do is protect you. Please step back and just be interested, deeply interested in the clutter. And how are you trying to help me? Why are you here? What's really going on? And almost always people know intuitively what's going on. And if you don't naturally know what's going on, that's when you want to start exploring, okay, those two questions. What room? And what area of my life is being affected? And then how is this clutter helping? So another, you know, example that I have, like the, in the TEDx talk, I share a story about a couple who had a broken teacup and a cluttered kitchen. And the teacup was kind of the like nugget, the, the originating clutter in this kitchen. And through organizing, we kind of came down. It was the last item that no one wanted to touch. And when I asked them about it, it came out that that cup had been there for a year because the two of them were basically blaming each other for it. So we use clutter to communicate. We use clutter to set boundaries. I've had clients who like to have a cluttered car when they really ask themselves about it because it means that they can't carpool. And that gives them freedom to have time alone after a busy day before they go home to their family. Clutter's doing, if clutter keeps showing up, it is doing something positive for you. And that's what we want to explore. That's fascinating. And what I hear you saying is as soon as you stop shaming yourself for the clutter, you are opening the door to be able to understand the reason for the clutter or, you know what I mean, that, or hear the message from the clutter. Yes. And it's so oversimplistic to say, I'm going to stop shaming myself. And this is what a lot of our self-help world is, you know, causing some chaos because it's like, well, just stop doing that. Well, that voice that's shaming you inside of yourself actually thinks it's protecting you. So it's a survival mechanism. It's not some jerk who's like here to bully you and make you feel bad about yourself. It thinks that if it scares you or bullies you, it's going to save you. It's going to inspire you. And you just get, we get to repair in ourselves. We get to say, thank you for trying to protect me. I've got this. I don't need that form of inspiration anymore. And we might have to remind ourselves of this a hundred times. We might have to remind ourselves of this for the rest of our lives. And what I do with a lot of my girlfriends is we tell each other our wounds. Like I have a friend who calls me and she's like, you know, I'm just beating myself up and I think everybody hates me. And I'm like, that's your pattern. Like you're just doing that thing that you do to try to make yourself feel empowered to do the work that you need to do? Is there any other way you can get that need met? And so we have this open dialogue, at least one person in your life, if you can have this open dialogue of like what the voices say, what it does is it makes it less true. Like we stop believing it in such a deep way. And then we have a buddy that we can, you know, the minute we like say it out loud, we realize it's not true. But when we don't say it out loud and we listen to our, what our mind is telling us, we believe it as fact. And so one again, Brene Brown saying the antidote to shame is connection. Yeah. Get it out of your brain. It's a dangerous place in there. Is we got to get it out and put it in the light where you know, like yeah. other people are. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. So if somebody right now is like again staring at a pile of clutter somewhere, what's the first thing that you tell them to do? Yeah. So the first thing you want to do is set an intention because oftentimes when we go into organize and we are just jumping in, like 
with no game plan, the clutter wants to stay. Our brain loves steadiness and consistency. So your brain goes, that's where that clutter belongs. That's clutter. Great. Fantastic. Not logical. Your brain, you're not consciously thinking of that, but your subconscious really likes that pattern. So the first thing we want to do is we want to ask ourselves these three questions for every single room you organize. What do I want to do in this space? And normally we don't want more than three to five activities that we do in each space. How do I want the space to look? And how do I want the space to feel? And write those down and hang them on the wall in that room that you're working. And when you think to yourself, do I want this? Do I need this? If it does not match the answers that you wrote on that paper, it does not stay in that room. It might live in a different room or it might live in someone else's home or it might go to the dump, but you want to know where you're going. You need a lighthouse to guide you home. And when we go in and we let the clutter set the tone, we are just going to move things around and shuffle them and create a new version of the same old thing versus if we have that very clear vision of where we're going and what we're doing. When you come across that thing and you're like, I don't really know, do I want to keep this this loom? Do I still want this? Well, if crafts aren't on your list of actions, then you're not keeping it in that room. And it really forces you kind of on a line to take a stand for yourself, take a stand for the life you want to live and the person you're choosing to be, not who you were a year ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, who your mom wants you to be, who your spouse wants you to be, who you perceive society requires of you. No, answer those questions with who you are and where you're going. And that will completely redefine your entire life in every possible way. I love that because I talk a lot on this podcast about having a vision of what you want for your life. Because so many of the women end up in my communities, like, I know I want something different, but I'm not sure what, like, and how do I get there? Right. And so being able to have a vision of what it is that you want for your life, or to even like, even if it's a small thing, right? Like, I know I want to be able to relax in this room, right? Like that's a start. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and I am a person who really struggles with long-term goals. I really have always, and I don't know, I'm guessing it's a trauma response. That's my answer to everything now. I'm like, say to all my friends, trauma response. So it's like, I have always really struggled with that. And what I've learned is I have to make smaller goals. I have to do smaller timelines. I can't do a year goal. I have to do three months. (laughs) You know, I have to go smaller. And it's the same thing. Like if I say, what do you want from your whole life? Like that can be great. But for some of us, we get totally shut down from that question. And so I know for me, like, because part of me thinks like, well, that you've just asked me infinity and it's really challenging for my particular type of brain to process infinity, but also what if there's something better and I short sight and I short, you know, like short stick myself because I didn't ask for enough. And so what the beauty of organizing room by room and space by space and intention by intention is that you learn who you are through organizing. You don't have to know who you are necessarily at the beginning. I've had clients who call me in who want to get organized because you know, they're just very unhappy in the state of their home. And through organizing every single room in this very methodical, calm, loving, gentle way, they discover who they are and their whole life changes, not because they made the decision to change their life and then the world changed for them, but because they slowly changed as they worked through. And so that's, to me, the beauty of organizing is It allows us to do this deep, deep work from the outside in, which feels less threatening for a lot of people. It lets you see tangible results. And it's just so beautiful. Yeah, that really is beautiful because it's something it's well, we can't see ourselves to begin with, right? Like we literally, what is it? They say you can't read the jar from the inside. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> right. And so the approach that you just talked about, about, okay, going outside of yourself first, right. And like this place that's like this pile that's sitting, like I'm going to looking right now at this pile that's sitting on the corner of my <laughs> desk, like, okay, why is it there? What am I, you know, what am I trying to avoid with this pile that I just keep piling other stuff on top? Or what are you creating with that pile? Right. Again, what am I creating with that pile? Yeah. That's the standard wisdom is you're avoiding something, you're doing something wrong. What if you're creating? What if you're building? What if you're connecting? Like, what if that pile is there because it's helping you to stay connected to a passion project that you want to do, but you haven't created a system to capture that stuff yet? And all it's doing is reminding you to create a system to create, to (laughs) capture the stuff for your passion project. That's pretty awesome. Like that tells me that you're just a creator creative genius. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's so interesting because what is actually on the the corner of my desk is piles of paper that I write ideas down on, right? And then I just leave them there because I'm not ready to let go of it. And then eventually I'll come along and clean it and it'll be like, oh, like the pile is now half the size. And then actually this morning I was reading your book and then I ordered myself some organizations. Yay! outside in. It's totally okay. It's totally. Well, let me tell you what I do because I am the same. So anyone who's a an entrepreneur who's listening, you know, it's like our brains never stop. I Everything yeah. is like my future book or my future talk or a future class or offering or whatever. And so it's like we're going through the world filtering because most of us who are entrepreneurial in this way, this is our purpose. Our sole purpose is right. this. And so it doesn't only happen when we're sitting at our desk. It happens when we're in the world. And so I, a few years ago, got started on using Microsoft OneNote for my like, so we could have a whole conversation about productivity. That's like an entirely different monster, a very important monster, but a monster nonetheless. But when we look at our information, there is our actions and then there's our archive and then there's projects, right? So there's actions that are things that we need to do something with archive, which is things we don't need to do anything with and just needs to be thrown away or stored. And then there's the projects. And this is where us entrepreneurs need a system to collect those things. So I don't care if you use the notes on your phone with a different heading for each project. I use OneNote. You can use Evernote. There's like a million options for this. But what you want is somewhere to land those ideas. Because I will say, I've been writing, quote unquote, writing this book for like four years. And then when I sat down to write the book, I wrote that book in about a week and a half because I had been collecting for years. And so the stories, the ideas, the stats, they were all right there. I didn't have to scatter for them. So I love everything that you're doing. I want you to keep collecting all the things. And then, yeah, if you can, I mean, this is why we love living in a digital world because you can have it at your fingertips and, you know, Sometimes OneNote is not so fast on my phone and I don't prefer that, but I send myself an email. I say the idea that I want to do, I copy and paste it into my OneNote when I get back. If I'm having an annoying technology day, you just try to collect these in the best possible way and land them where you will need them because the concept of organizing, we have decided in our world that it's how do you put things away to be beautiful? And that has nothing to do with a functional organizing system. You want to put things away so you can find them with ease and you know, where are they when you need them? That's how we want to organize, not how do you put it away so it's pretty. And especially with our creative ideas, you know, you get people who like have a thousand browsers open or, you know, and those are just creative ideas that want to be moved forward and they're going to keep showing up until you write them down. And David Allen, who's like one of the, the godfather of productivity, you know, he says, you know, it's like, if you don't write it down, it's going to keep coming to you over and over again. So once you write it down, you let it go and then it exists there and you can find it. And it just makes life so much easier. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, I do the, you know, give it a place to live outside of my head because in my head, it's like really disorganized up there. Like if there's clutter anywhere, it's probably it's genius. You just have a lot of magic happening in there. Yeah, I love this conversation so much because I feel like, you know, in the world of social media and Pinterest and everything where people are showing off their perfectly organized pantries and this, that and the other, it's become yet another way that we another tool to beat ourselves up, right? Another way that we don't measure up, though, another way that we're not enough. And what you just said about it being a sign of our genius Like, you know, helping us to see ourselves more authentically, you know, helping us to reach the goals that we want. Like, that's such a beautiful reframe of something that I think for most people has. And because everybody has clutter at some part of their house, right? Like, oh, totally. Yeah. And even if you don't have clutter, even if you're a minimalist, it takes a superhuman effort to be a minimalist because our world is always sending you stuff. (laughs) It's like you walk in, they're handing you things. It's a gift bag. It's this, it's that. There's the holidays. So it takes a lot of work. So yeah, you are in relationship with objects no matter what, whether you're a minimalist or not. And even if you're a minimalist, like I love the minimalists when they talked about, you know, kind of how they got their start, one of them lost their mom. And so even if he had been minimalist at that time, he had to deal with her stuff and dealing with her stuff helped him awaken to what he wanted from his life and, you know, minimizing his life. But you never know where the clutter is going to come from. The clutter could come from cyberland through work. It could come from between your ears. It could come from a deceased relative or who knows. But what we want to do is feel like we have the resources internal and external to manage whatever clutter crosses our path. And that makes you resilient and unshakable. Like when I work with people, it's not the goal is to not have you never have clutter again, because we cannot control what crosses our path. I want you to be so well resourced that if and when the clutter crosses your path, you know what to do. And you know that you are not that clutter, even though that clutter can often be an extension of you, but you can understand how to process it. Right. That you can see clearly the message in that clutter. Yes. That, yeah. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> oh, this has been such an amazing conversation. So to those of you listening, first things first, go out and get the why the F <laughs> am I still not organized? Like it's a brilliant read. I had, I had so many insights on, on my own life from this book. <laughs> and then we'll make sure to put all the links to the freebies that you mentioned in this conversation in the show notes as well, too. Yeah. And I wanted to tell you too. So, you know, your listeners can totally get my book from Amazon or Audible, but I'd also love to give them a free downloadable copy immediately so that they don't have to wait or spend money. If they go to starhansen.com forward slash podcast, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N, they can get a free copy of the book. They can take a quiz, but that way they don't have to wait. They can just jump right in and start to explore why the, if their clutter is not going away. Excellent. Oh, that's very generous of you. Thank you. So we'll make sure that that link then gets in the show notes. So everybody listening to this, if you want to see the message in your mess and to figure out how clutter might be holding you back from something in your life, then absolutely download this book. And thank you. Thank you, Star. This was amazing. Thank you for spending this time with me. Oh, thank you, Jennifer. I had a wonderful time with you today. So thank you, everybody, for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would be an honor if you would give us a five-star rating or review, or even better, pass this podcast on to a friend, a relative, or somebody you think might get something out of it. So until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes, or wherever it is that you listen in.